Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Tonight, we're going to look at a book called Jane Eyre, an autobiography by Charlotte Bronte, copyrighted in 1897. If you enjoy the readings, that's great. Hopefully, it makes you drowsy and sleepy. Please jump into the podcast app, leave a comment, and leave a rating. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the readings. And thanks for listening. Jane Eyre, an autobiography by Charlotte Bronte. The preface. A preface to the first edition of Jane Eyre being unnecessary, I gave none. This second edition demands a few words, both of acknowledgement and miscellaneous remark. My thanks are due in three quarters to the public for the indulgent ear it has inclined to a plain tale with few pretensions to the press for the fair field its honest suffrage has opened to an obscure aspirant to my publishers for the aid their tact their energy their practical sense and frank liberality have afforded an unknown and unrecommended author. The press and the public are but vague personifications for me, and I must thank them in vague terms. But my publishers are definite. So are certain generous critics who have encouraged me as only large-hearted and high-minded men know how to encourage a struggling stranger. To them, i.e. to my publishers and the select reviewers, I say cordially, gentlemen, I thank you from my heart. Having thus acknowledged that I owe those who have aided and approved me, I turn to another class, a small one, so far as I know, but not, therefore, to be overlooked. I mean the timorous or carping few who doubt the tendency of such books as Jane Eyre in whose eyes whatever is unusual 
is wrong, whose ears detect in each protest against bigotry that parent of crime, an insult to piety, that regent of God on earth. I would suggest to such doubters certain obvious distinctions. I would remind them of simple truths. Conventionally, it is not morality. Self-righteousness is not religion. To attack the first is not to assail the last. The pluck the mask from the face of the Pharisee is not to lift an impious hand to the crown of thorns. These things and deeds are diametrically opposed. They are as distinct as is vice from virtue. Men too often confound them. They should not be confounded. Appearance should not be mistaken for truth. Narrow human doctrines that only tend to elate and magnify a few should not be substituted for the world's redeeming creed of Christ. There is, I repeat it, a difference and it is a good and not a bad action to mark broadly and clearly the line of separation between them. The world may not like to see these ideas deserved, for it has been accustomed to blend them, finding it inconvenient to make the external show pass for sterling worth, to let whitewashed walls vouch for clean shrines. I might hate him who dares to scrutinize and expose, to raise the gilding and show base metal under it, to penetrate the sepulcher and reveal charnel relics, but hate as it will, it is indebted to him. Ahab did not like Messiah because he never prophesied good concerning him, but evil. Probably he liked the sycophant son of Chenea better. Yet might Ahab have escaped a bloody death had he but stopped his ears to flattery and opened them to faithful counsel. There is a man in our own days whose words are not framed to tickle delicate ears, who to my thinking comes before the great ones of society. Much as the son of Imla came before the throned kings of Judah and Israel, and who speaks truth as deep with a power as prophet-like and as vital, 
they mean as dauntless and as daring. Is the satirist of Vanity Fair admired in high places? I cannot tell, but I think if some of those amongst whom he hurls the Greek fire of his sarcasm and over whom he flashes the leaven brand of his denunciation were to take the warnings in time they or their seed might yet escape a fatal Ramothgalid. Why have I alluded to this man? I have alluded to him, reader, because I think I see him an intellect profounder and more unique than his contemporaries have yet recognised, because I regard him as the first social regenerator of the day, as the very master of that working core who would restore to rectitude the warped system of things, because I think no commentator on his writings has yet found the comparison that suits him. The terms which rightly characterise his talent. They say he is like Fielding. They talk of his wit, humour, comic powers. He resembles Fielding as an eagle does a vulture. Fielding could stoop on carrion, but Thackeray never does. His wit is bright, his humour attractive, but both bear the same religion to his serious genius that the mere lambent sheet lightning playing under the edge of the summer cloud does to the electric death spark hid in its womb. Finally, I have alluded to Mr Thackeray because to him, if he will accept the tribute of a total stranger, I have dedicated this second edition of Jane Eyre. Note to the third edition. I avail myself of the opportunity which a third edition of Jane Eyre affords me of again addressing a word to the public to explain that my claim to the title of novelist rests on this work alone. If therefore the authorship of other works of fiction has been attributed to me, an author is awarded where it is not merited and consequently denied where it is justly due. This explanation will serve to rectify mistakes which may already have been made.
and to prevent future errors. Carabao, April 13th, 1848. Chapter 1 There was no possibility of taking a walk that day. We had been wandering, indeed, in the leafless shrubbery an hour in the morning, but since dinner, Mrs. Reed, when there was no company, dined early. The cold winter wind had brought with it clouds so sombre and a rain so penetrating that further outdoor exercise was now out of the question. I was glad of it. I never liked long walks, especially on chilly afternoons. Dreadful to me was the coming home in the raw twilight, with nipped fingers and toes, and a heart saddened by the chidings of Bessie, the nurse, and humbled by the consciousness of my physical inferiority to Eliza, John, and Georgina Reed. The sad Eliza, John, and Georgiana were now clustered round their mama in the drawing room. She lay reclined on a sofa by the fireside and with their darlings about her. She looked happily and perfectly happy. Me, she said, had dispensed from joining the group saying she regretted to be under the necessity of keeping me at a distance but that until she heard from Bessie and could discover by her own observation that I was endeavouring in good earnest to acquire a more sociable and childlike disposition a more attractive and sprightly manner, something lighter, franker, more natural, as it were. She really must exclude me from privileges intended only for contented, happy little children. What does Bessie say I have done? I asked. Jane, I don't like cavaliers or questioners. Besides, there is something truly forbidden in a child taking up her elders in that manner. Be seated somewhere, and until you can speak pleasantly, remain silent. A breakfast room adjoined the drawing room. I slipped in there. It contained a bookcase. I soon possessed myself a volume, taking care that it should be one stored with pictures. I mounted it 
into the window seat. Gathering up my feet, I sat cross-legged like a Turk and have drawn the red moraine. Curtain nearly closed. I was shrined in double retirement. Folds of scarlet drapery shut in my view to the right hand. To the left were the clear panes of glass, protecting but not separating me from the drear November day. At intervals, while turning over the leaves of my book, I studied the aspect of that winter afternoon. A far off, it offered a pale blank of mist and cloud near a scene of wet lawn and storm-beat shrub with ceaseless rain sweeping away wildly before a long and lamentable blast. I returned to my book, Buick's History of British Birds, the letterpress thereof I cared little for, generally speaking, and yet there were certain introductory pages that, child as I was, I could not quite pass as a blank. There were those which treat of the haunts of seafowl, of the solitary rocks and promontories, by them only inhabited, of the coast of Norway, studded with isles, from its southern extremity, the Lindness or Nays, to the North Cape. And that concludes the readings for this evening. I hope you enjoyed it, and you're always welcome to listen to another episode, if you like. In the meantime, I'm going to go now, and look forward to bringing you another story next time. Thank you, and good night.